Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Well, we are continuing and starting to wind down um, our study on the mind, the arena of faith. And it's based upon a book written by our very own apostle, Frederick Casey Price. Um, Tonight, uh, I really have to go rather quickly because I have a lot to cover and next week is our last week on this. That's a promise. So therefore, we've got to get as much covered as we can. And we will. Okay, so the last time we were together, I left you with a principle called thought identification. Does everybody remember that? Okay, well, uh, thought identification is where we have to really identify each and every thought that comes our way, and that's got to be our first line of defense. It has to be. And this identification process can't just be limited to thoughts that suggest fear or failure or defeat because we have to remember that Satan is what? He is the great deceiver. So therefore we've got to investigate every single thought. And last time we looked at 2 Corinthians the um, 10th chapter and the 5th verse. So I'm just going to read one version of that to you to bring it back to your remembrance. And you can turn there to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, uh, verse number 5. I'm going to read it out of the message where it says, The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair, but we we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entirely massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, which we know is the word, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. So that's letting us know that we must investigate every single thought as it approaches to determine if it's friend or foe. We need to know what we're dealing with. Because remember, when thoughts come, they will sound familiar to us because they're going to sound exactly like we do. The enemy is not going to use an unfamiliar voice. We already went over that. He's going to use our own voices. That's the only way he's going to get us to believe that it's our idea. Because, you know, if not, he would make it very clear that it's him and then we'd know what what we're up against. Also keep in mind that, well, this we can do, because this I gave you before. And if you kept notes, I'm sure that you do, you'll have this. Remember that you've got to examine and investigate every single thought. And I gave you six different points that you could use, a very simple way to do just that. Does the thought, whatever the thought is, when it's starting to enter into your mind, I want you to in seeking the entrance, you need to find out when it's entering into your mind, does it line up with your Bible armor? And I gave you six points. The first one is, does it agree with what you know about the truth? Does it agree with what you know about righteousness? Does it agree with what you know about salvation? Also, does it agree with what you know about faith? 
Does it know, does it agree with what you know about the gospel of peace? And of course, lastly, does it agree with the word of God? Does this thought agree with your Bible-formed beliefs? And we talked about the fact that everybody, I don't care who they are, they have a belief system. For the Christian, your belief system should be based upon what? The Word, the Bible. That's what we build our whole entire lives on. That should be the final authority in our lives. It's the reason, to be very frank, why there are so many Christians that are being destroyed. It's because they have lack of knowledge of the word. They don't know what the scriptures say. They're limited to just what they hear when they come to a worship service or a Bible study because they don't really take the time to open up the scripture and read it. And that can be a challenge. And the best way to describe it is, I can say to you, how much do you think a foot is? Give me an example of what you think 12 inches happens to be. You can give me some vague idea and you may say well I think it's this big or I think it's that big or I think it's about the length of this. You can give me all this what you think. A ruler settles it. With the ruler we know exactly what 12 inches happens to be. With the word of God we know what the truth happens to be. Not your thought or interpretation or you know and that's what we as Christians need to stand upon and live our whole entire lives based upon. So you may say well are you telling telling me that every single thought that comes, I have to sit and go through this and, and measure all of it with the word of God. No, you don't have to do it. Okay, you absolutely don't. You can choose to do whatever it is that you want. The Bible is telling you to do it. I'm not just telling you to do it. We just read it in 2 Corinthians 10.5, okay, that we are supposed to do it. Now, here's something I always thought was interesting. When Paul is talking about this in Scripture, he chose to use the symbolism of war. He could have chosen to use something else, but he chose to use war because I think everybody can understand that with war there is what? Destruction. It's not a wonderful, peaceful time where you see yourself sitting on the lawn in a picnic basket and everything is just wonderful and balloons are flying in the air. With war, it's blood, it's guts, it's ugly. It's not a wonderful time. That's what he used to symbolize this. And I thought that that was really, really important because there's a lot of work involved in protecting yourself, your household, your family, if you are in wartime. It is not simplistic. You have to make sure. Like even before you go to sleep at night now, I'm sure you probably make sure your doors are locked, your windows are closed. You don't just leave it open for everybody in the neighborhood can just come on in. Would you agree with that? Why do you do that? Because you're offering for yourself a certain point of protection, are you not? Well, when you think about it, if you know that you're in wartime, you're going to make sure that you've got a sentinel. You're going to make sure everything around your perimeter is as safe as you can possibly make it be. Would you agree with that? Okay, so if that's the case, that means we've got to be on guard when it comes to our mind all the time. We don't get an opportunity to have a break. And you may say, okay, it, this is just getting to be a little much. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. Think about when Hurricane Katrina was here, when it happened, because everybody can remember that. We can remember how horrific all of that was. But I want you to think about this. Hurricane Katrina didn't suddenly just happen to appear upon the states okay, of Louisiana and Mississippi. It didn't just show up and nobody had any idea what was going on or that it was coming. Now, it was, people did have an opportunity to avoid it, to escape it. They did. Now, some people, I will admit, may not have had the means, okay, and that's, that's 
a horrible thing, but there were a lot of people who did have the opportunity. Now, we don't want to talk about that because that's not a pretty story. And, you know, we knew that Hurricane Katrina was so horrific, so we don't want to ever say, well, they should have gotten out and they had a chance, because that just doesn't sound very nice. But that is still the authentic reality of what was. They could have, but they didn't. Somewhere along the line, they were given a thought, idea, and a suggestion to be able to leave. But if they did not know to identify that thought, idea, and suggestion and decide whether it was good intel, good and a friendly thought, idea, and a suggestion to keep them from harm, or was it a foe, that's where the challenge lies. They were faced with a decision the same way that all of us are faced with decisions every single day. That's a perfect example of those who had the opportunity to leave but did not discern and stay there and had to deal with the destruction afterwards. That's giving us an example in modern day time of exactly what we've got to do to prevent something like that happening in our lives. Heightened security is a price that has got to be paid by us if we want to keep the enemy, quite frankly, out of our camp. So it all starts with our minds. We are in warfare. Whether we want to say that or not, it doesn't matter because we really are. Now, in the military, as I had said to you last time, security isn't a nine to five job. They don't just put somebody on post at nine o'clock and five o'clock they go eat supper, play checkers and all as well. No. Okay. In the military, security is constant. 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, somebody is watching the perimeter of that camp. So to me, that's a perfect example to let us know that that's what we've got to do with our thought life. And something else that you have to think about, your thought life, and you may not have looked at it this way, it has a life and death component attached to it. I'll repeat that. Your thoughts have a life and death component attached to it. And I'm going to give you an example. Every single thought, every idea, every suggestion, I don't care how innocent or simple that it may seem to you, you are blessed, okay? There, there's, it's got to be investigated. You may say why? Because, like I said to you, every thought life it does have a life and death component. Check out your own life. Just take a minute. Think back at some things that you may have walked through that if you would have paid attention to some of the thoughts, ideas, and you are truly blessed. I'm saying that those people who don't know, that's too sneeze. But anyway, um, you, if you go back and think, you may remember where you know what? You did have a thought that maybe you should have done something a little different, and you just kind of let it blow over, and you're like, ah, and that, ah, well, you didn't do it puts you into a challenge that you could have totally avoided. And think about that. Write that down and go home and think about it because I guarantee you that you will see there were times in your life had you paid attention to that thought that came across your mind. Because remember how I said before, all thoughts, ideas, and suggestions are not just coming from the enemy. Sometimes God's giving you a thought, idea, and suggestion and you're just kind of like ignoring it. Can't do that. Every single one. Remember, we have to identify it. Where where is it coming from? The enemy? Or is it coming from God trying to help us out? We need to figure it out. But that's something that you need to think about. If you don't check out where your thoughts are coming from, 
I'm telling you now, you can put yourself in, into the middle of a storm. You can do it all on your own and you find that you're sitting there pumping the water out of your life, so to speak, just to get even keel and get your footing again. You have to obey the signs and signals that come before a situation. Don't ignore them. I'm going to use something that's really, I think, something all of us can identify with. There are people all over the world who get married. They want to get married. There are a lot of single people who are looking for husbands and wives, and that's a wonderful thing. That's God's plan. That's great. That's wonderful. A lot of times, first of all, especially for women, and I'm not blaming this on us like we're horrible people. We're wonderful people, ladies, but we've been planning weddings from the time we were little girls. I mean, we may not have uh, vision boards of it, even though I know some people who do, okay? But sometimes you have a vision board in your mind where you know exactly what the dress is going to be. I mean, I remember when my eldest daughter got married six years ago, she picked out her wedding gown when she was 14 years old. I'm like, are you kidding? And me, I'm her mother now. I carry the picture of this designer and tucked it away because I'm like, well, when she gets married, she has to have this particular designer because this is what she wanted. Now, that was when she was 14. She got married at 34. A lot had changed from 14 to 34. The designer was still real. So what did we do? We went and found the dress of her dreams by this designer. The point that I'm making to you is she started thinking about, she didn't even have a boyfriend at 14, but she was already thinking about, oh, when I get married, oh, I want this. <sighs> People do it all the time. Women especially, we dream about this. We have all kinds of just aspirations and dreams about this great wedding. Men, not so much. They're more into the wedding night, okay? I'm being honest. I mean, they might care about, you know, she's going to help me with this and she can take care of the house and I don't have to iron my shirts, but he's really focused in on that wedding night, okay? But the point is, what needs to be focused on is the covenant. The wedding and the wedding night are not it. It is the covenant that you are making before God. That's what needs to be discussed. That's what needs, that's what all of the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions need to be taken care of before anybody walks down the aisle and says, I do. And that's for male or, or female. To me, one of the things, and I tell people this, you better vet the person that you are thinking about marrying, okay? I mean vet them for real. Find out if what they are representing is real. Men, find out if she's wearing her hair or weave. Find out, I'm serious, don't get there on the wedding night and find out that this long, luxurious hair you thought she had is going on a little pole somewhere because that's not it. You better find that out. You want to know if these long, luxurious eyelashes are real, if they're mascara, or if you're not going to see them tomorrow at all. You might want to find this out. See, nobody wants to talk about this because it's not, you know, cute, but I'm being real, okay? Women, you need to find out, men too, what are their credit reports? You don't want to marry somebody because once you yoke yourself to that person, you carry the burden of them, and you find out, oh my gosh, she, all, she looked fine the whole time we were dating. Oh yeah, she had on all of these Christian Louboutin shoes. I didn't know that she had a bill form for $10,000. Okay, you need to find these things out. And these are not dating questions that they tell you about, but they're real. You need to find out. Okay? You need to find out. If the person tells you they're divorced and you're considering marrying them, see their divorce papers. Don't take their word for it. You check it out. You want to see. And you want to know something else? If you have the opportunity 
opportunity, go talk to their ex. Find out why they're so divorced. Don't just go on their side of the story because they're going to say like, oh, I'm the greatest and the person was horrible. Find out what the horrible person has to say. You might get a little bit more information than you had before. Okay? Don't wait till after the wedding and the wedding night to then go start doing these things. You do it beforehand, okay? That helps you not make a mistake that you have to spend the rest of your life dealing with, okay? All right, now, another thing is, once a thought is allowed access, because keep that in mind, remember, think of your mind as like a, a, a camp, and you are in war, and you are the person who is watching and on guard of whatever thought is bringing, is coming toward your camp or toward your mind. Once you allow it access into your mind and say, okay, and you start acting on it, you have to understand that at that moment that you do it, it begins its insidious work. Turn with me to the book of Acts, and we're gonna look at chapter five, Verses 1 through 5. And when you get a chance, read it out of the message. But because there are so many things I want to share with you tonight, I'm going to forego the message, and I'm going to share it with you out of the Living Bible. And it says, But there was a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, who sold some property and brought only part of the money, claiming it was the full price. His wife had agreed to this deception. Hmm. Wives ought to realize that, okay? If your husband comes up with a cockamamie idea, don't just go along with it, okay? You do have the ability to make up your own mind, okay? All right, so she went along with it. Okay, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, Satan has filled your heart. When you claimed this was the full price, you were lying to the Holy Spirit. The property was yours to sell or not as you wished. And after selling it, it was yours to decide how much to give. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And soon, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor dead. Everyone was terrified. Now, just think about it. People were all excited about what God was doing in the early church, and they were all pooling all of their resources together because they wanted to spread the gospel. And Ananias and Sapphira, they just kind of like wanted to get in on it because everybody else was doing it, why not? But look at what happened. Satan planted thoughts in their own minds. You know, something like, just wait, Ananias, the property is worth a lot of money nice that everyone's giving their things and putting their resources together. That's nice. But you don't have to give everything. As long as you give a little something, at least you'll look like you're with the program. That's the same kind of thought, idea, and suggestion he gives to a Christian who will sit up and say, I'm really not going to tithe because you know what? I got a lot of other things I need to do. I have some bills. I'll put $3 in the offering. That way, when I lift my hand, nobody knows what I'm giving, okay? They don't know that I'm supposed to tithe $100. It's okay. I could put in the three because that $97, you know, they are having a sale, and I am getting ready to go on the cruise, and I really would like to go get some extra stuff. So I'll just lift up my hand. I'm giving something. Who do you think you're lying to? The people don't give a care if you give anything or not. But God knows what you're doing. He knows 
knows what you're doing. You're not lying to anybody, but you are lying to the Most High God. Right. <laughs> so, it would have never, they could have literally with that property done whatever it was that they wanted to do, but quite frankly, their heart just was not right. It was not in the right place. The problem was that they brought a portion of what they received from the sale of the land, and they represented, represented it as if it were the full amount. I mean, I don't even know how they could think about doing it, but yet and still they did. But here's the key. That particular thought that Satan gave them, it had a death and life component attached to it. That one obviously was not life attached to it. There was clearly death. When Ananias brought the money and laid it on the table, the Holy Spirit alerted Peter. Because you see, the Holy Spirit will give you words of knowledge. My children know that very well. I told them all the time, you could do whatever you want to do. You may not think I know what's going on. I may not be there, but there is only one Holy Spirit. He will tell me, and when you hit the door and I see you, I can tell you exactly what it is that you've done. Because the point is, he will. All we have to do is yield ourselves to him and ask him to help us. He said that he would do that. Okay, so that's what he did in this particular instance. And Peter was very nice. He asked Ananias, did you sell the property for X number of dollars? And Ananias big and bald said, oh yeah, that's what I sold it for, Pete. You know, acting like he was his best friend. And then Peter said, Ananias, the Holy Spirit has already revealed that you have lied. You did not sell it for what you said you sold it for. You haven't lied to men, but you've lied to God. And the result was yes. Ananias, as we read in the scripture, he had a heart attack and he just dropped dead. But here's the thing you must know. God did not kill him. Okay? That thought had a life and death component attached to it. And every time, just to give you another example, because you're saying, okay, that's scripture. Let's, what about modern day times? Every single time there's an earthquake in Southern California, and you know there are several, we hear about them all the time. People die as a result of them. A lot of times it has nothing to do even with the earthquake. Sometimes it's out of fear. People literally are afraid. Sometimes they're afraid of losing things, especially sometimes they may lose a lot and they can't deal with the material things that they've lost. And they just get so overwhelmed that they have heart failure and actually die. It's not a pretty thing, but the point is the thoughts that they have attached to those thoughts happens to be a death component. Now, Sapphira, remember we talked about her agreeing with her husband? She came in a little later after all of this happened, and God, being so gracious, gave her the opportunity to get it right and tell the truth. Because Peter asked her, Sapphira, did you sell the land for such and such? And she said, yes, Peter. Peter said, the feet of those that buried your husband are at the door. She too had heart failure and just dropped dead. Now in retrospect, that thought they accepted wasn't worth it. Because think about it, all, all the property they had, all the money that they could obtain, was it really worth their life? No, it absolutely wasn't. But the most important thing that we as believers looking at this need to know is that God did not do this to them. He did not kill them. And there are many Christians all over America today that if you give them the story of Ananias and Sapphira, they will sit up and tell you, yes, God was angry with them for what they did, and he struck them dead. I have heard it in many churches being said just that way. And God had nothing to do with it. It was totally them. So the point is, don't put yourself in a position, okay, to allow 
yourself to have a death component be attached to any kind of thought, idea, or suggestion that comes into, that you allow entrance into your life if you want to preserve your life. Just an interesting point. Now, let's just look at Judas. We already know that he was a traitor. We know that he sold Jesus to the religious uh, leaders for a lousy 30 pieces of silver. He didn't even get gold. I mean, really, think about that. Lousy silver, not even gold. Well, turn with me to John's Gospel, the 13th chapter, and we're going to look at verse 2. John 13, verse 2. If we look at it in the New King James Version, it says, And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. If we look at it in the easy to read, it says, Jesus and his followers were at the evening meal. The devil had already persuaded Judas Iscariot to hand Jesus over to his enemies. Of course, Judas was the son of Simon. Now, he was given thoughts, ideas, and suggestions from the enemy. We got that. They had a death, a life and death component attached to them as well. Yes, he did portray him for a measly 30 pieces of silver. After he had done the deed, though, he was extremely remorseful. And you've got to imagine, he walked with Jesus. You know he had to be remorseful, okay? And he was. So what did he do? He went to the high priest and he said, I've sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. The high priest said, in effect, that's your problem. I mean, really, I didn't have anything to do with that. So Judas then went out and he hanged himself. So again, that thought had a death component attached to it. But again, you're like, all right, that happened to him. Okay, let's use modern day times. A person decides to go and sleep with someone, and I don't mean take a nap, okay? And it's not their husband or their wife. And they go ahead and do it because they got all excited and yeah, okay, had their little couple little minutes or whatever. And then they're remorseful and they feel bad about it. But what happens as a result of that? No, they may not go out and hang themselves, but there may be an unwanted pregnancy, there may be an STD, there may be AIDS, and there may be death as consequences, all for a decision that had what? A death component attached to it. So, thoughts, ideas, and suggestions from the enemy cost Judas's life failing to thoroughly investigate every thought. Is it dangerous? It's as dangerous as failing to identify every single person approaching the camp during wartime. So everybody who comes to your front door, you don't just open it up and let them in. You try to identify who are they and am I going to let them in? Well, you need to do the same thing with your thoughts. We have to always be ready to investigate every single thought, whether it's coming at a convenient time or not because guess what it doesn't matter if it's convenient or not it's still got that life or death component attached to it so you have to determine whether it agrees with your bible knowledge your armor it's impossible to stop thoughts from coming it, it just is but it is possible to avoid accepting the thoughts that are from the wicked one if we spent a little time investigating each and every one of them. Now here's another principle that you really got to check out. Limited Bible knowledge handicaps you. That's limited Bible knowledge 
handicaps you. You're at a disadvantage if you don't have knowledge. Everybody knows Hosea 4.6. You can turn to it if you'd like. I'll read it to you out of the New King James Version, which says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests from me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The easy to read says, My people are destroyed because they have no knowledge. You priests have refused to learn, so I will refuse to let you be priests for me. You have forgotten the law of your God, so I will forget your children. To me, that's really serious because that's taking it to a whole nother generation, not just your own. So, we already know that. Now, check out this. Look at Isaiah, the fifth chapter, verse 13. Isaiah 5, verse 13. And, let's see. If we look at it in the New King James Version, it says, Therefore my people have gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge. Their, honor <laughs> their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. The easy to read says, my people don't really know God. So they will be captured and taken away. Everyone, the respected leaders and the common people as well, will be hungry and thirsty. The Amplified Classic Edition says, Therefore, my people go into captivity, here's the qualifier, to their enemies without knowing it, and because they have no knowledge of God, and their honorable men, their glory, are famished, and their common people are parched with thirst. Remember the first principle that we ever talked about. Knowledge and its proper use, what? Wins battles. Notice that the principle does not say knowledge wins battles because it doesn't. Every Christian has the knowledge of God. The word proper implies that there could be improper use of knowledge. If you don't use it correctly, limited Bible knowledge puts you at a huge disadvantage. Sometimes in a church service, God will <laughs> read really what's happening in your life. In other words, he will reveal something to you about your life during teaching, but you have a tendency to go on and get mad at the teacher. It's not the teacher. It's God. You see, God is the one who knows your life. And he knows what you're doing behind closed doors. He knows your past. He knows every single day of your life before you ever made your entrance into the earth realm. The teacher standing before you doesn't know that. And I hate to really hurt your feelings, but the teacher doesn't really give a care. They don't want to know all that. They're just doing what God has asked them and instructed them to do. But God will speak to you through the ministry gifts. That is his mode of operation. He's not going to speak to you out of the sky. You're not going to walk down 7th Avenue and he's all of a sudden going to tell you something. No, but he will use a teacher that stands before you to tell you something. So don't throw tomatoes at the teachers. Don't get mad at them. Understand they're operating in the anointing of the Most High God. And if it's something that's being said that touches a nerve, get in your prayer closet. Talk to your father. Don't get upset with the, the teacher. Okay? Now, there's a story about a rich man and the beggar Lazarus, and that's in Luke, the 16th chapter. Now, I don't want everybody to be, I want you to understand where this is coming from, so I'm going to share it with you really quickly. It's Luke 16, it's verses 19 through 31. I'm going to share it out of the easy to read version, because sometimes when you say Lazarus, people automatically think of, 
you know, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, his friend, you know, they get the stories kind of mushed together, and I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to share this with you. Starting with verse 19 of Luke 16, it says, out of the easy-to-read version, Jesus said, there was a rich man who always dressed in the finest clothes. He was so rich that he was able to enjoy all the best things every day. There was also a very poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus's body was covered with sores. He was often put by, he was often put by the rich man's gate. Ugh. Lazarus wanted only to eat the scraps of food left on the floor under the rich man's table, and the dogs came and licked his sores. Later, Lazarus died. The angels took him and placed him in the arms of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. He was sent to the place of death and was in great pain. He saw Abraham far away with Lazarus in his arms. He called, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to me so that he can dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am suffering in this fire. But Abraham said, my child, remember when you lived? You had all the good things in life, but Lazarus had nothing but problems. Now he is comforted here, and you are suffering. Also, there is a big pit between you and us. No one can cross over to help you, and no one can come here from there. The rich man said, then please, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house on earth. I have five brothers. Could you warn my brothers so that they will not come to this place of pain? But Abraham said, they have the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets to read. Let them learn from that. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone came to them from the dead, then they would decide to change their lives. But Abraham said to him, if your brothers won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to someone who comes back from the dead. Hmm. So. Abraham tells them that they have Moses and the prophets and if they don't hear them, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. The thing that's important to me here that just shines like a beacon, it's another reason why we need to be bringing people to church so that they can hear the word for themselves. I mean, it pains me to know that we have people in our own families who are not saved. And yet, now, I understand sometimes you invite them to church and they don't come. I mean, I get that. You just have to keep trying to be sweet and invite them. Not pressure them, but invite them. Because the point of the matter is one day they will come. But if you don't invite them, they don't have the opportunity to come. Then we have to go to their celebration of life service and know that they're going to be like this rich man who's going to just be wanting to have a dip of water. How do you live with that? Any person that you see, you need to invite them so they have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. That's just something that we are supposed to do. But anyway, this is how, God's, how God works. Okay, as far as you are going to be taught by the teachers and the prophets of the church. That's what God is talking about. And really, that's all that he's <laughs> going to give you because he's done everything else that he's going to do. And that's how he works. And we have to learn to work with God. The disadvantaged Christian is the one who has limited or no Bible knowledge. He accepts almost any thought that comes along. He's an easy victim. You've heard the expression, if you... Don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Well, a Christian who just comes and never opens up the word of God to see what it says about him 
He can, you can tell him anything. You can literally, he can go to a church where he hears, goes to a celebration of life, where he hears the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he'll believe that because he never opened up the Bible to read Job, to understand that that was a statement of fact, but not true. But he won't know that because he never opened up the word to see it. And if he takes that and he believes that and he lives his life with that, which is a falsity and not a truth there is life and death it's a life and death component attached to it and he can live his whole life for him and his whole entire family with death attached to it because he never understood the truth because he never opened up the word to see it for himself there are people all over our country living that way and hearing that at memorial services all the time so we gotta again be so careful because people like that are victims because they have no point of reference to determine whether a thought is true or not and we've been saying this and I've been saying it for all of these weeks Satan is what? He's a deceiver, he's a liar and every thought he shoots is going to sound how? Reasonable it's going to sound as if it makes sense, if it didn't he wouldn't be a con man, he wouldn't get us to believe the stuff that he's saying things can seem right and can be as wrong as a $3 bill. You can look at it and say, well, you know, it looks like it's about 12 inches, okay? It looks like it might be a foot, and after measuring it, you find out that it's actually 18 inches. Why? Because our perceptions are not perfect. So we need some way to measure them. That's why we have rulers or tape measures, so we don't have to argue about length. And the Bible is our perfect measuring tool, the Christian's ruler. We just put it up against any thought and it settles any kind of question that we may have. Now, I wish that I could tell you that when you get a certain age, like, you know, maybe when you turn 65 or when you turn 90 years old, you will no longer need to investigate each thought that comes your way. But I'd really just be standing before you lying because that's not true. As long as you draw a breath, you need to do this. And I don't care how old you get, the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions will come because Satan will never rest. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, God never sleeps or slumbers. We've all heard that, right? Well, guess what? Neither does Satan. Okay? He never sleeps or slumbers either. So, you know, there are some, there are really actually some preachers in this country who will sit up and say that they don't believe that the devil exists. And that person is just the one that the devil wants preaching all over America because <laughs> that's the one that will sit up and blame God for all of the mess ups all over the world. He will sit up and say, that's why we have people who are starving. That's why we have that bus accident in New Jersey. He'll come up with all things because he doesn't believe that the enemy is in fact the God of this world. So. Satan will continually be our enemy until Jesus physically returns to set up his kingdom or until our death. So I encourage you to begin forming the habit of examining every thought by asking yourself two things. The first, does this thought agree with my armor? The second is, does this thought agree with the word? Just make it that simple. And I know everybody's doing it. This is another scenario, and this is really something that's happening a lot now where you'll hear, especially from the young people, well, everybody's doing this, you know. I see this kind of behavior on TV. You know, people are all living together before they get married because, you know, they want to try out how everything's going to work out first. And yeah, okay, they're having sex, they're having babies, and they're not married. 
But, you know, it's no big deal. All the celebrities are doing it, and they're all over social media, okay? And they're making a big deal out of it. You know, people are logging on to see what did they name the baby, and how much did the baby weigh? Oh, you know, I even went on Amazon the other day, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I went on Amazon to buy something for my granddaughter that's about to be born, and up on the top of it is this celebrity, what her choices are for her baby. She's unmarried, and I'm just like, I'm supposed to go and choose from her choices? Really? Obviously her choices are not 100%. Better yet, do her choices add up with my armor? No. Do her choices add up with the word of God? No. So therefore, I don't need to know about what it is she's doing. But what I'm saying to you is, we're constantly being bombarded with that. Now, our position as Christians is we have the responsibility as ambassadors for Christ to shed a light to our young people and let them know, yes, you see this stuff happening. However, this is not God's best. This is not what God has designed. Don't get sucked into believing that this is great, okay, and fine. You don't have to judge the people. They will have their own judgment day. But don't fall into thinking that what they're doing is right and dandy and okay because it is not. It does not line up with the word of God. That is our responsibility and we had better be making sure that we are doing that because you know what? If we're not, we're going to be held accountable for that. So does that mean that if they're going to hell, you're going to go too? I don't think so. You better check it out with your armor, the word, and make sure, and these are the six points I gave you before, that number one, does it agree with what you know about the truth? Number two, faith, does it agree with that? Number three, righteousness, does it agree with that? What you know about it? What you know about the gospel of peace? And what you know about salvation? And lastly, what you know about the word. That question must always stand between us and each thought that comes our way. The process doesn't take that much time, only seconds really, once you get the hang of it. Thoughts can be examined through seconds of their appearance. Once it becomes a habit, which means it has to be developed. Because remember how I shared last time? Habits are something where you put it in practice and you do it over and over and over again to a point where it becomes a habit. Once you do that, when these thoughts come, it's easy for you to do it. Okay, but you got to start working on it. You have to start disciplining yourself to be able to do it. And you might say, oh, I got all that stuff. I'm supposed to memorize scriptures and everything. I don't feel like doing that. No, you don't. You don't have to read the Bible either. You don't have to do any of it. But as a Christian, you don't have to do any of those things, but I want you to look at it from a mathematical standpoint and make a decision. Calculate what takes the most time. To study the word and check your armor to find out what's attacking your mind or clean up the mess that you create when you don't. Now, just do the math on that. Figure out which one you think is the smarter way or the easier way to go. When the thought about another woman came to a man's mind that, you know, he should have checked with his armor, whether he's married or not. He should have checked with his armor to see. Should he put that thought at bay? Or should he say, oh, no, 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 no. That goes against my armor. That does not fit. 
At first, it may seem like it was a great adventure that they wanted to go on, but in the end, it could end up being a great tragedy. And if he's married, it could destroy a whole entire family. Not just his life, but his wife's life, and he has any, if he has children, their lives as well. The point is, what happens here? Thought identification. You need to identify where is the thought coming from. Is it a good thought? Is it a bad thought? Is it going to help me or not? You need to figure that out. We have to deal with issues like this in ministry all the time because people come in for counseling and, you know, they have all kinds of problems, some that they've had to deal with 10, 20, and 30 years ago. And if they're honest about it, most will admit a lot of their problems develop because they didn't take the time to examine the thoughts that came through their minds. Every single action is preceded by a thought. Sometimes the thought that preceded the action was nothing. Now, I know that sounds weird, so I'll repeat it. Sometimes the thought that preceded the action was nothing. That's why they had problems to begin with, because they didn't think. In other words, sometimes people act without thinking, okay? So that's another thing that we have to take into consideration. And a lot of young people just are like, oh, I'm young, you know, I have my whole life ahead of me, you know, it's no big deal, I can just do things. If I make a few mistakes, you know, somebody will help me. And if they're blessed to have parents, oh, my parents are my safety net, you know, I'm just gonna do whatever, you know. I mean, they get on social media, they do some of the most silly things you'd ever imagine. You can go on YouTube, they have little tests. There's a cinnamon test, they have this other test where they were taking um, dishwasher tabs and, and swallowing them and you know and they're just like ah, ha, 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 let's see what's gonna happen and they get where do they get these thoughts ideas and suggestions social media can be good if used right most of the time it's not really used correctly and it's harming a lot of people some of those kids they don't come back and tell you how they died but they did some did not all but the point that I'm making to you is it's a silly thing that they get caught up with but it's still a thought idea and suggestion that comes along. Now adults don't get off easy because sometimes they feel like, okay, I can get away with this little lie. Okay, I can embezzle some funds. You know, it's no big deal. I can cheat on my income tax. There are a lot of Christians who do that. They're going to act like they don't, but God knows they do. Okay, then one day when the FBI comes and starts knocking on their door, they get all upset because now they're considered a thief. Okay, but I got better news for you. There are people who go to work every day who decide, oh, I want to take the stapler home because this stapler works better than what I have at home. I don't have one at home. Or Christmas is coming. I need some tape to wrap my gifts. Oh, I'm just going to lift it. Oh, okay, but they don't think that's thievery. But they are a thief. God sees it, whether you think he doesn't or not. So what happens when the FBI comes to your door? They ought to lock you up because what you did was wrong. But every thought, again, needs to be interrogated. When they come to you, you need the thoughts. When they come to you, you need to look them right in the eye and ask, do you agree with what has been formed in me by virtue of the teaching I've received from my armor? And also, do you agree with the word of God? If not, hit the delete button. Get rid of the thought, because every thought has a life and death component attached to it. And it's not always physical life that you lose. I have to tell you this part. It's not always physical life that you lose. Sometimes you lose the life of a relationship, the life of a friendship, the life of trust with someone, simply because of a thought. So go ahead and tell that lie. Nobody's going to know. Yes, someone will. The devil knows, and he's going to see that someone 
else finds out about it and he always does it at right the opportune time. Just when you think you got away with the lie, he exposes you just when you don't want it done. So if that thought doesn't agree, you've got to expose it and get rid of it by casting it down, which is what we just read in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. So I'll give you another principle that we're going to have to do next time, but you can jot this down because it's really good. It's three things, three words. Identify, quench, and capture. Identify, quench, and capture. Because once we discover that a thought disagrees with what we believe, the war is on. And the war begins when we identify the thought is coming from the deceiver. And we will have to pick up next time because it's getting really good. <laughs> Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.